Thanks. It's kind of the theme of this week and, and last week as we kick off our fall is just the whole idea of outreach. So last week we talked about the church, and as Troy mentioned, this week we're going to talk about missions. So last week we talked about really our church and our area, our, our Jerusalem, and this week we're going to talk about over there and, and, and what God wants us to do in other parts of the world. And now before we get to that, let me make a, just a couple of, of comments on things that Pat mentioned that I think are really important that you hear from me on. Uh, our third installment of Embrace Grace starts next week. Uh, I got a, a vision, if you will, last year that we needed as a church to spend the bulk of this year on grace and really parsing out what grace is to set a tone for our future as a church. So we spent January and February talking about God and grace. We talked about justification and sanctification and just what does it mean that God has shown us his grace. Then we spent the uh, latter half of February, March, and April talking about, or March and uh, February, March, talking about family and grace, just how does grace infuse our family. And then starting next week, we're going to talk about church and grace. And all I can say is hang on to your pew because I wanted to just do some sort of mamby-pamby series on talking about how grace affects fellowship and grace affects serving and grace affects, you know, all the aspects of church. And the staff vetoed that. They said, no way, that's, that's not risky enough. You need to talk about grace and forgiveness, grace and judgmentalism, grace and holiness. You need to talk about how grace affects our lives as a church get risky, Jamie. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start that next week. And if I keep my job in five weeks, praise the Lord. If not, there's 349,000 other churches in the United States I can go to. But hopefully, uh, we, we can keep things together. And, and I think it'll be very challenging for us. So invite friends. This is a great time for you to invite uh, a seeking friend or an unchurched friend to church over the next few weeks. And it'll, it'll be a really great uh, series for you to bring people to. Um, and then our men's retreat. I, I would really encourage you men to, to come this year on our retreat. I met with Tom Schrader, who you guys know is a friend of mine, just an outstanding communicator. We met a couple weeks ago to talk about the retreat. Uh, it's called A Call to Courage, and we're going to talk about how to be courageous in your walk with God, how to be courageous in the marketplace, how to be courageous uh, in your family, how to be courageous here at church. We're going to just look at all the venues that we have in life as men and, and how we can incorporate a courageous faith into that. And, and we're very, very excited about that. And Pat wasn't kidding. I mean, the, the camp, uh, Lost Canyon, is just a great place to do a retreat. You're going to get fed well. You're going to have lots of fun. And so please sign up for that. We'd love to have you come on that. I got to tell you, I, I get today to talk about missions. And, and let me just preface this before I pray. And that's it. It was a tough sell last service. It really was. I, I, I realized at the end of my speaking last hour that I'm trying to convince people when it comes to this thing called missions to get more involved in missions when at best we have a church that has maybe 5% involvement. So, so, so factor that into your own life. If you had to go into your work setting and you had, a, had, a, had a, an issue in which only one out of 20 people were involved in, and you had to give a 40-minute talk to try to get the other 19 involved in it, that's a tough sell. And I realized last hour that that's about the, 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 the help I need is the Holy Spirit help, and that it's not going to happen unless God does something in all of our hearts for us to get on board with his call for mission. So with that said, I want to pray right now and ask God's blessing on our time. So would you bow with me? Father God, I, I thank you for the church. As we saw last week, God, I'm so fired up and grateful for what you've called us to be as a church, this worshiping, praying, serving, fellowshipping, evangelism uh, place that you've called us to be. And Lord, today we're going to extend that a little bit and talk about missions and what your heart is on missions and how we view missionaries and all that stuff. And Lord, most importantly, how each of us can play a more vital role. And so I pray, God, that as this is an uphill climb for us as a congregation, that you might give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have already said. May we grab your heart uh, when it comes to other people. And Lord, may we have the courage and the uh, integrity to follow you as you lead. So bless our time together, we pray, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So if you and I were having a cup of coffee together, and I looked at you and I say, would ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word missionary? How would you respond? Well, what's the 
first thought that comes to mind for you when you hear the word missionary. I think for some of us, we're kind of still stuck at the African Queen. Remember that movie from the 1950s where Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepford are going down the Nile and she's a missionary and he's not yet and they're in this beat up boat going down the Nile and the view of missionary that you get from that movie is that missionaries go to very remote places and they live meager existences and they get eaten by mosquitoes and they have a very tough life all for the sake of trying to help people understand the gospel of Jesus on a deeper level. That's a missionary to some of us. But then for others of us, we have a bit more of a sophisticated image of our mind. When we hear the word missionary, we think of a lone friar, don't we? Kind of building some stone outpost of a church somewhere as he helps a remote village by preaching the word of God on a regular basis. It's a lone, austere kind of presence. That's the picture we get when we think of a missionary and we have compassion on them and pray for them on a regular basis as a result. Still, for others of us, we have a more progressive and modern-day image of a missionary. We conjure up a successful doctor who hears God's call to use his or her skills in a remote part of the third world by helping maybe underprivileged children who have been ravaged by disease and help them in the name of Jesus. So we imagine a, a doctor physically helping others, bringing healing in the name of Christ through modern medicine as well as time-tested prayer. And then there's even others of us who, who wouldn't have a very positive view of missions. We might know some of the nasty history of missions. But we all know about colonization and how for hundreds of years in Africa we failed in the missions realm and trying to not just bring them Jesus but also bring them Western culture. So when we think of missions, we think of colonization and how we've tried to colonize other areas with Western mores and Western culture, and it hasn't worked very well. And so that's our picture of missions. And then there's the business people among you. I know how you think. You've been involved in the church scene for years, and you've learned that missions takes money. So when you hear the word missionary, you immediately think, how much is this going to cost us? And you might immediately want to know the dollars and the, uh, the dollar signs. Uh, think about it. So many things that we think of, and the list could go on and on, when we think of a missionary. From the African queen to a lonely friar, from a medical doctor to colonization, from money and resources to monthly support letters. So many things that come to mind. And yet, like so many areas of life, now latch on to this, our perceptions of things can be both accurate and inaccurate. Amen? In other words, like so many areas of life, whether it's your marriage or your work or your faith or your kids, there's things that you see and you have a right assessment of it, and then there's other things in which you're not so right in your assessment. So I believe that all of us probably have some right images of what missionaries do, and then we have some wrong images of what missionaries do. And my goal today is to help clarify from a biblical perspective, this is Scottsdale Bible Church, what missions truly is and why it is so important that we understand what it is from God's vantage point. That's what I want to do this morning in our time remaining to try to break through all the paradigms that you and I have of what missionaries do and what they are, what they look like, and try to get God's perspective, God's vision of what missionaries do. But we sent over 300 volunteers, as you're going to see here in a few minutes, out this year to help support our 50-plus missionaries. And next year, get this, we hope to double the amount of volunteers. And so it's a very important issue that you and I wrestle with this morning. Why missions and what is a missionary? So I want to begin by defining our terms. As most of you know, I like to do that. And I want to simply define one term, but real clearly today, it's a term I've been throwing around all morning so far, and it's the term missions. And so if you were asked to give a clear one-sentence definition of missions, what would it be? Here it is. Look up here on the screen. It's not complicated. It's simply planting churches where there are none. That's missions. It's planting churches, telling people about Jesus, and then establishing a church where there don't happen to be any churches. Folks, think about it. It only makes sense. In the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, men and women were considered missionaries when they left a place where the gospel was already being preached and the church had already been established, and they went to another place 
where the gospel was not yet established and the church was non-existent and they told others about Jesus' death and resurrection and the call to believe and follow on him. They gave them hope. They gave them faith. They gave them the gospel. And as people responded to the call to follow Christ, small churches were established and the kingdom of God was built. This is the whole story in the book of Acts, which is the missionary book in the New Testament, and the missionary endeavor in this way was done. I think this is what Jesus meant when he gave us the parable of the mustard seed in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Look up here on the screen. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And if that's not prophetic, I don't know what is. Because you see, Christianity 2,000 years ago started as a very small seed. As we saw last week, like 120 beleaguered followers. And yet on the day of Pentecost, they grew a few thousand people. And now today, talk about a small seed that's grown to a big tree. There are over 2 billion people in the world currently today that claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. That's how big Christianity is. 2 billion people strong. And none of that would have happened, please know, without a belief in missions telling others about him in love, not forcibly or rudely, but with compassion and grace. Over the last 2,000 years, we have shared the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ to cultures that have never heard of him. They have believed and trusted in him, have established their own churches in their own culture, and that's what missions is. And that's what missionaries do. And I know how some of you think. You're thinking right now, well, Jamie, with two billion so-called believers today, do we really have a missionary problem still? I mean, are there really any areas left with all of our modern technology today, satellites and mass communication and air travel and all of that, in which we still need to be involved in telling cultures that haven't heard about Jesus? And the answer is yes. Uh, The Joshua Project is probably the best organization out there today that helps us understand the task before us with missions. With laser beam focus, they have done a tremendous amount of research into what this world is about as far as the different people groups and how many of them have yet to be reached with Christianity. And so look up here on the screen, three facts you need to know that come right out of the Joshua Project. First, the total number of of people groups out of 7 billion people in the world is 16,713. I would call that precise. That's the amount of people groups that have their own distinct culture, that have their own distinct language, in which you would need to cross a barrier, a cultural barrier, in order to communicate something like the gospel to them. 16,713 people groups. Now, with that said, notice the second statistic. The number of unreached people groups that have not heard of Jesus and the gospel is 6,926 which tells you and me, do the math, I've done it right, that the third statistic is true. 41.4% of people groups in the world today have yet to hear about Jesus Christ. Folks, if that doesn't move you, I got nothing more. If that doesn't move you to the need that we have today to not just think of our own Jerusalem, to not just think of Phoenix, then I'm telling you, I don't know what more to give you. Because this is telling us that 40% of the people groups in this world have yet to hear about Christ. And some of you are saying, well, where are these groups? Because I'm telling you, they're not around me, and you're exactly right. Look up here on the screen. This is a really cool map I want to show you of the world. And you'll notice behind me here, a map of the world with obviously the United States on your your far left there, and then Africa, and then Europe, and Asia, and all that, and Australia down there to the right. And you'll notice that it's color-coded in green, yellow, red. And green simply signifies the areas that have been relatively saturated with the truth of Christianity. Doesn't mean everybody's a Christian there, because like America's green there. It just means that access to Christian truth is very available for those green areas. The yellow areas is where there's nominal access to Christianity. It's in its formational stages. It's not quite there yet, but it's developing. And then red is obviously where there are unreached, there's hardly any access to the Christian faith. 
And you'll notice, and this is what's so instructive about this map, I love this, is that in the left or western part of the hemisphere of the world, it's almost all what? Green. That's where you and I live. Canada, the United States, even South America, Mexico. I mean, I mean by and large, we have done a wonderful job over the last two, three hundred years of having a strong Christian influence here in the western part of the world. And that doesn't mean that Christianity is not waning in the Western world, that there aren't some trouble spots, that there aren't still some um, work to be done. Of course there is, and we're all aware of that. It just means that you and I still live in a culture that has Christian radio, Christian books, Christian TV, 350,000 churches in America alone. You get the picture. There's access to Christianity. But then look at the right half of the world. You'll notice uh, on the top middle there, on the top there, uh, Europe, Western and Eastern Europe. It's kind of a mix. Some areas that have relatively strong access, but Europe's in trouble. Some areas that have kind of nominal access. And then you'll notice that red line there. You'll notice that that line there, it's mainly the Muslim world, where you have North Africa and the Middle East and then Southeast Asia where there's hardly any Christian influence at all. Many of those countries are very closed, very close to Christianity. And yet, they need to hear. They need to hear about how they can know God and connect with Him through Christ. And so this is where that 40% of people groups figure comes from. That you and I are blessed. We're exposed to things of faith, whether we want to or not. Each moment of each day, we have total access but what you need to see is there's other parts of the world that have very, very little access. And so this is why missions is important. This is why we have missionaries to share the good news with those who haven't heard. And make no mistake, they are still out there and there's still lots of work to be done. And yet here's the problem. And this is the only thing I need you to hear today. And that is with as wonderful and altruistic as this endeavor is, missions, and it is, the vast majority of us here today, you and me, don't really see this as something for us to be involved in, save for maybe giving a few bucks and saying a few prayers for those who dare to go. That's a challenge before us today. That's what I meant earlier when I said that about 95% of us aren't really engaged in missions. I didn't mean that you're unaware of missions. I mean, you pray when we ask you to. We put some missionary's name in the bulletin. You say, I'll throw up a few prayers. You might write a check in supporting a missionary or somebody going on a short-term mission trip. And if you're like me, you pause at that moment and say a prayer for them going over. And then you look for their support letter when they come back. But let's be honest, for the average evangelical Christian today, that's about the extent of their involvement in missions. And without trying to heap a lot of guilt on you folks, I'm here to tell you today as your pastor, this should not be. We should be a church, because we are a church that cares about missions, much more engaged than we are in the Samaria, the Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. I think there's a lot more work to be done as a church, our church, in getting involved in missions. And some of you are saying, well, Jamie, okay, I trust you, you're my pastor, I'm, I'm open-minded today, but I'm not the missionary type. I'm not Humphrey Bogart, or maybe you are Humphrey Bogart. I'm, I'm, I'm not the African queen, I'm not a friar, I'm not a medical doctor, I, I, I don't really do support raising very well, and so what does this have to do with me? This is where I want to jettison some of our images of missionaries. Because I think all of us, all of us are called to be more engaged in missions and to, at times to be missionaries than we might think. If you brought a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. This is the passage we're going to park in front of for the next 20, 25 minutes that we have left today. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And as you're turning there, I'll just let you know that there are three things here, because this is all about Jesus, three things that you're going to see in the life of Jesus here in which he teaches us why missions, what missions is, and how all of us can simply do this thing called missions. How all of us, in a very real sense, could be a missionary. So notice three things in this passage here. I'm going to read it in just a second here. Three things that it tells us that, that Jesus did and showed us of what missions is all about. And the first thing is simply this, is that he shows us that it's all about God and people connecting God and people. That's the task of a missionary. We've made it more complicated today than it should be. 
But if, missionary, if missions is simply planting churches where there are none, then the role of a missionary is simply to connect people with God, God with people. And so notice with me this passage before us. Look at verses 35 to 38, and you'll see what I mean. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Folks, I would submit to you that this passage here in Matthew 9 is the prototype, it is the precursor for what would eventually become missionary activity in the New Testament. That this is Jesus showing us here in technicolor what a missionary life is about. And what I need you to see more than anything here is that it was simply about connecting people with God, God with people. Isn't it interesting? Look at verse 35 again. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, and that as he did so, he did three things. Did you notice this? He taught in the synagogues, he proclaimed the gospel, and he healed diseases and sickness. There's something there for you and me. He taught, he proclaimed, and he healed. Don't miss that. He connected people with God. So he taught them. In other words, he went into the synagogues at that time. Jesus was Jewish. The Jewish people met in the synagogue on Saturday, the Sabbath. And so Jesus made his way into the synagogue. And because he was the Son of God, he taught them about the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is now at hand. The kingdom of God is here in me. Become a follower of me. Trust in me, the Messiah, the Son of God. And you too will have eternal life and life here and now. He taught them, and in teaching them, don't miss this, he connected them with God, the Heavenly Father. And then it says he proclaimed the gospel. This is powerful. In other words, he told people, all people, convinced and unconvinced alike, how, though, how through himself the kingdom of God was now at hand, and that they could know him intimately and personally through salvation in Jesus. He connected them, many of them for the very first time, through proclaiming the gospel, he connected them with God. And then interestingly, in this prototype missionary endeavor, it says Jesus healed disease and sickness. In other words, he ministered to their physical and tangible needs. He ministered to the hurts of people and through this further connected them with God by communicating God's love and grace in a tangible way to the people. This is why missionaries today meet people in their pain and minister to their pain, addressing the multiple issues that cause stress in people's lives, whether it's a third world country that has hunger problems or Europe today that has spiritual problems. We meet them in their pain and we offer tangible help and through this connect them with God. Three focuses of Jesus' ministry here, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And don't miss, it was through this one-on-one, one-life-at-a-time endeavor that became the seedbed for what would become missions in the rest of the New Testament. And folks, what hits me more than anything when I realize what Jesus is doing here, now now latch on to this, is that very little work of his was done in large crowds. Most of his work was done in smaller groups, one-on-one relationships in which Jesus did this teaching, proclaiming, healing ministry. That's the evidence in the New Testament. In other words, this is important for us. Jesus didn't preach all that many sermons on the mount. Did you know that? In fact, there's very few long sermons you will find of Jesus's in the gospel. And he didn't do all that many large group events. There's the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, and that's just about it on that level. No, most of the stories that you get in the New Testament of Jesus teaching and proclaiming and healing, isn't it interesting, were done one life at a time, one relationship at a time, at a smaller level. Uh, Think about all the stories you know. A paralytic, a blind man, a Pharisee seeking truth, a sick girl, a short tax collector, a prideful ruler, a woman caught in adultery, a man possessed by a demon, a couple of followers who are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the list goes on and on. 
the vast majority of Jesus' interactions in the gospel stories, this is so revealing for you and I when it comes to our fear of missions, were one life at a time. Touching one life by healing and teaching and proclaiming, interacting and allowing that relational interaction for the Holy Spirit to enter in and bring people and connect them with God. And the point is, is that we can all do things like that. That's what missionaries do. Jesus' methodology was brilliant and powerful. And I got to tell you, as I talked about last week, I get very convicted when I look at Jesus' methodology here because of all the things the church does today, the programs that we have and the buildings that we build and the committees that we start and the budgets that we look at, I had asked myself, do any of them lead to this relational activity that marked Jesus' ministry so profoundly? And sometimes they do. But on days where I'm in committee meetings all day or days that I'm looking at budgets all day or days that we're building programs all day around here, honestly, I go home depressed sometimes and I say, I sure hope it's helping connect people with God because if not, we're in trouble. Amen? I mean, we should not start programs or have policies or spend money or do any of the things that we do or build buildings unless we can somehow show that it's the Jesus way. That it's this idea of connecting people, individuals with God. And if we have no fruit to point to, when it comes to those things, then shame on us as a church. Because that was Jesus' entire ministry. And think about it. Jesus did all that without a budget. He did all that without a program. He did all that without a building. He didn't have a Christian bookstore. He didn't have Christian CDs. No Amy Grant. Nothing like that back then. I know I date myself. No res band. Whatever the current stuff is. That's dated too. I don't know what the current stuff is. But whatever the current stuff is, Jesus didn't have any of that. He just had the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and this is what I'm trying to get you to see. And he dove into relationships one at a time. And through doing that, God entered in, spiritual sparks flew, and salvation was brought to people one life at a time. And I guess what I need you to see is that's what missions is and that's what missionaries do. That's what we look for in our missionaries. And when we sent out 300 people this year to do mission trips, we've done about 25 trips, 300 people, what you need to know is that what we look for when they come back is stories like that. How did God use you to affect one life at a time in an area where very, very few lives are affected for the gospel? One thing I love about technology today is that we can take cameras, we can take video cameras, we can take pictures, we can record things when they happen. Again, that didn't happen 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day unless they wrote it down. And, and so this year we've kept track of a lot of what happened at our trips. And so I want to show you a video right now of four quick vignettes, four stories. And here's what I need you to see of people just like you. These are not missionaries. These are pew sitters who got out of their pew and decided to go on a short-term mission trip this year and I want you to hear the passion and the content of what God did in their lives and through them as they went to the remotest parts of the world. Look up here on the screen, and then I'll get back with you in a few minutes. I'm Allie Pennington, and I went to Spain this summer. We ran an English camp with about 40 other kids and teenagers from around Europe and around parts of the United States. So we had to minister to them through our actions and through loving them and just showing them the love of God. And working with these kids and seeing how much of an impact we could have on them, that really solidified that I wanted to be this for someone else. I wanted to inspire someone else the way that my leader had inspired me in Club 56 and an impact and the way that we used by God to minister to these kids in Spain. Uh, my name is Stephen Baker and this past summer I went to uh, Morocco. I had just been baptized and I had just started coming to Soma and I knew that I had wanted to go on a mission trip. I had done something similar back in college and I, I just knew that that is something that God wanted me to do. And, and so he told me about this trip to Morocco and I kind of cocked my head to the side and, and, and just wondered where Morocco was. I, I didn't even have a clue of where it was. And so he told me it was in Africa. And I told him I'd pray about it. And literally a month later, we all got on a plane and, and headed over to Morocco for the first time. And it 
rocked my world. I saw God do things that I never thought I would see or I never thought that I would experience. It was as if, um, it was as Paul says, is like our God can do so much more than we can think of or even imagine. And that is so true. I had I had an idea of what could, what I would see and what I would experience, but what God did and how He showed up was so much more than, than I could have even thought of or even imagined. And so now I'm at a point in my faith where I have those, those promises of God, not just in my mind, but in my heart and in my soul. And, and I know that that is something that He has in store for me. Um, the work that is going on there is it's so important and it's so visible to see the hand of God move in the in the lives of the men and the women and even the children that we interact with and, and I really can't think of of anything better to do than to be a part of the work of expanding his kingdom and just walking faithfully in the works that he's prepared for me. Last November six of us from the Timothy Leadership Ministry uh, went to Cairo, Egypt to assist a local church there that our church has been supporting for years in their outreach at a Christian sports and recreational camp. Uh, it was a great experience for all six of us. It was a pleasure and a wonderful opportunity to uh, get closer with uh, five of my brothers in the ministry. My thoughts towards the Middle East, my thoughts towards uh, uh, Muslims in general, um, I ended up loving the Middle Eastern people that I met and the heart that I had that grew for them uh, and the, the empathy for how the Christian church over there is persecuted and how much they want to love on their, their Muslim brothers uh, changed my heart uh, towards the Muslim religion and a recognition of just how lost they are. I regret that it took till age 50 for me to take a short-term mission trip. I'm excited to go on another one, however God will lead me, and would encourage uh, anybody that has the opportunity, anything like the one that was given to me, to uh, seize it and uh, go see how God will use you. Hi, my name is Susan Brannon. I'm fairly new to Scottsdale Bible. We've lived here in Phoenix two years now. Reflecting on our recent mission trip to Tanzania, I think the one word that comes to mind um, to represent the whole trip for me, start to finish, is the word freedom. Um, before going on the mission trip, I think I had a lot of inhibitions about you know, what a mission trip was going to involve, where could I plug in and be useful. Going on the home visits was, was an eye-opener. And to find that all those icky conditions that I was afraid of, it just kind of went out the window. Once over in Africa and seeing the contentment and the joy and the gratitude in the people um, really fueled my passion to do more for them. Um, I was, I felt so free to just experience every part of their life and, and to want to do more, I, I found ways that I could actually maybe help them that I never would have thought of before. That sense of freedom just kind of overwhelmed me while I was over there. And then now coming back um, to the States, I've never felt freer. And maybe that's because I finally shed that fear the first trip. Maybe it's a sense, I think there's an element of, I know that in Christ I can do anything and I just, I feel free to say yes to everything he, every opportunity he brings my way. I can't wait to get up in the morning and just see what that is and how I can minister to somebody else or serve somebody else. I think the one verse that kind of sums up the trip for me, something that I've learned um, is 1 Peter 4.10 and it says to be a good steward of the gifts God's given you to serve others. And I want to encourage everybody to think on that and see what it would mean to you to maybe say yes to God in a certain area and, and go help somebody like the children in Tanzania. Here's the deal, I've been a pastor now for 20 years. I, I, and I've rarely met, it's happened once or twice, but rarely do I meet somebody who went on a mission trip and didn't come back somehow changed. It did not come back and somehow said, God showed up and did something. I, I call it an out of environment experience that as I got out of my environment, God did something through me 
to minister, to connect people with him, and then did something in me that forever has changed me. I've just seen it happen too often to doubt that that's what God does when people take a step of faith and serve in this way. And I'm telling you, the heart and soul of it, I hope you caught it in the videos there, is that it's all about connecting people with God, one life at a time. We're not asking you to preach sermons. We're not asking you to do big evangelistic crusades. We're not asking you to run a lot of programs. We're asking people to just take a week out of their life and go minister in another culture in such a way that you connect others with the Lord. And when you take a step of faith like that, profound things happen. And what I need you to see is that the people that go from this church are not necessarily the paid staff. They're not the creme de la creme believers. It's normal, everyday folks just like you that, that realize that missions is not about being a friar or going down the Nile in, the, in a boat or having to even be a skilled doctor, though we use some of them and no one's colonizing anymore and no one's sucking resources dry. No, these are simply folks just like you who take a week or two out of their busy lives and invest in a part of the world that's not so blessed as we are. That's missions. And that's what missionaries are, and that's what they do. And that's why we need more of them from our church. And that brings us to the second thing that Jesus teaches us. And this is kind of the why of why people would do an activity like this. Look again at what Jesus says. Look again at verse 36. This is the why. It says that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion. If you underline your Bible, underline that one. Compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, this is point two in your outline. The need is so great. But why would somebody take a week out of their life to go serve? Why would people become career missionaries? Why did Jesus do what he did? Because the need is so great. I, I love how it says it there. He had compassion on these people compassion that word compassion there in the original language the greek language that the new testament was written in literally means that his bowels yearned that's what the commentators tell us his bowels yearned the best modern day example i can give you is that roller coaster thing that happens to your stomach when you're on a roller coaster or maybe even when you have had moved by somebody else's pain say a child's pain in your life or maybe the pain of of grief of losing someone and you feel it in your gut that's what this passage is telling us. Jesus had that kind of compassion on them. And you say, how? How could he have compassion on people he'd never met? He'd never seen them. He didn't know them. And that's because he saw beyond their facades into their soul. It says that he saw them as harassed and helpless. You know what's fascinating about that passage there is that they really didn't display harassment and helplessness in their lives. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is ministering here in northern Galilee. I'll get to that in a minute here, but it's a Gentile area that was actually fairly well-to-do as far as standards go back then. So this could be considered a Scottsdale area that Jesus is ministering in. And as he's ministering in this Scottsdale area, you've got to believe that these people, you know, were doing pretty well by the standards of their day. They might get a new tunic every month. They might get a new dirt floor every year. They might get a new chariot every five years. I don't know, but they were doing pretty well by the standards of their day. They looked pretty good on the outside. And yet the scripture tells us that Jesus saw them as harassed and helpless. That word harassed there literally means to be beaten down. He looked into their soul and without God, they were beaten down without having connected with the lover of their soul, the maker of their soul, the redeemer of their lives, they were beaten down. And they were helpless. They couldn't do it on their own strength without some type of guidance. They didn't know the truth. And they didn't know how to respond and connect with God. And so what it says here is that Jesus saw that condition of their lives. He was moved with compassion. And that's why he did what he did. Fascinating. That Jesus saw all of that. That's the missionary mindset. It's the missionary heart. And as I just hinted to in a second ago, what's more fascinating about all of this, or most fascinating, is the fact that all of this occurs in Galilee, an area of 204 small villages in northern Israel. And we know that he's in Galilee because it tells us this in chapter 9, verse 1 there, at the beginning of this chapter. And what you simply need to know is that Galilee was by and large Gentile. 
So you got a Jewish preacher who's a son of God going a three days walk to where the lost people are in that area and preaching the gospel. You'll notice here, I put it here on the screen for you to see it there in, in living color. This is a map of the Holy Land back then. And it's all there along the Mediterranean Sea. you got the Dead Sea at the bottom there, the Sea of Galilee toward the top. And that blue circle there is Jerusalem and its outlining areas. And just so you know, Jerusalem was like the epicenter of spirituality for the Jewish faith, right? It's where the temple was. It's where all the kings lived. It's where God uh, resided in, in the temple and, and spoke. I mean, Jerusalem was where most of the spiritual sparks flew within Judaism in the Old Testament. And it was only in the outlying areas over the years that they became known as more secular. So Samaria was filled with just Samaritans. Galilee was filled with a bunch of pagans and, and, and people that didn't know the Jewish faith. And so Jesus took a three days walk to that red circle up there to northern Galilee, Nazareth and north of there, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's profound stuff for you and me. He, he's modeling for us what missions do and why missions is so important because you go where the needs are. And so once you and I have established all of this, what missions is, planting churches where there are none, connecting people with God, and why it's so important because the needs are so great, that 41.4% of unreached people groups, the only question that remains if your heart is moved at all, and I told you this was going to be a tough sell, the only question that remains is what are you going to do? That's the question I have for you as we wrap up this morning. What are you going to do? It goes back to my original premise, and that is that in a church like Scottsdale Bible Church, though I know we all have big hearts, and we all give generously, and we all love this church, the reality is when it comes to, to worldwide missions, or what we call overseas missions, but that would also include some work here in which people haven't heard, when it comes to that endeavor, the reality is, is that about 5% of us dive into the deep end and the rest of us are still playing in the shallow end. And so my question is, what are we going to do as a church in response to the truth that we see in the Word? And I want you to look, because I think it's in the text here, at what Jesus tells us to do. This will actually be liberating for you, because he's not going to guilt trip you. He's not going to tell you to bump your neighbor and tell him to get with the program. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. This is the answer to our question. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We've seen that today. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Isn't that an interesting response? Jesus could have said, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, get out of your pew and go. He could have said that. He didn't say that. He could have said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, get with the program and start bugging people to get, go do something when it comes to the gospel. He didn't do that. No, what Jesus says to do is that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, so pray. And the question you and I should be asking right now is, what's the logic behind that? I mean, why would Jesus want us to pray? Here's what I think he's after. He knows that when a heart gets compassionate and in touch with the need, when a heart feels a nudge to do something, and that nudge comes from the Holy Spirit who's nudging you to go in a certain direction, that there's the best chance that that person is going to respond. Amen? Wives, you have found that about your husbands for years now, haven't you? You want your husband to do something, you know he's not going to do it, and you can either nag him to do it, or you can pray for him. And you have learned that praying stands a much better chance than nagging. Amen? Fathers, you found that about your children. You have found that you can yell at them and, obey, and order them to do something, and they just might do it for a time. But in the long run, if you want to touch their hearts, what are you going to do? You're going to pray for them, and you're going to ask God to move in their lives. So why would it be different for each of us in church? When it comes to this mission problem that we have and the need for Scottsdale Bible Church to be more involved, God says, pray. Pray for each other. Pray for a heart of compassion. Pray for open eyes to see the needs. Pray for hearts and minds to be nudged and then for people to have the guts to respond to God's nudge. That's what he says to do. And that's what we're going to do as we continue to pray for each other. I want to share with you one story about how powerful this kind of praying could be. It was about, the year was about 1991. 
and I was about a year into my first pastorate in Detroit, Michigan. And as many of you know from my resume, I served as an associate pastor for the first nine years of my, uh, my pastoring. And so I was there from 1990 to 1999, and about a year into it, um, I realized that I'd gotten involved in a very, very authentic church. Now, some people pay me the compliment once in a while and say, Jamie, you know, you just seem so real from the pulpit, you're so honest, you're so out there. I got to tell you, my senior pastor for nine years makes me look like I'm in denial. It's really true. I mean, my senior pastor, who I served under for nine years, was the most honest, raw, out there kind of individuals, and it just set a tone for the whole church before authenticity was even popular for you to be who you are and to grow in Christ. And it was such a wonderful place to serve in for nine years. So about a year in, I realized I could be honest. And one day, my pastor, Kevin, gave a, a sermon very similar to this one on evangelism and missions. And it was actually out of Matthew chapter 9, and he talked about, you know, the bowels yearning and compassion and harassed and helpless and how we all need to get with the program and we need to pray and we need to care about other people, not just ourselves. We need to care about other areas, not just Detroit. And on Tuesday, he and I were having lunch, and I, because it was an honest church, I just said, you know, I just got to tell you, Kevin, I was so unmoved by your sermon, it wasn't funny. I, I said, I got to tell you, I sat there in the front row twice, because, you know, I was paid to sit in the front row twice, and I said, it, it just did not move me at all. And, and he kind of crossed his arms, and he said, well, tell me about that, Jamie. And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with my job here. I'm overwhelmed with my family. You know, I got, I, got, I got young kids, and I got a lot going on in my life right now. And quite frankly, I just really don't care about what's happening in Ethiopia. I'll never forget what he did next. <laughs> he leaned forward a little bit. Whenever Kevin leaned forward, he, played, he, played, he was a tackle at Taylor University. You know, whenever Kevin leaned forward, you knew something was coming. It was going to be love, but it was going to be a, a hammer on love. And, and he leaned forward, and he said, well... He said, based on the sermon then, here's what I want us to do. He said, I want you and I want me to pray. He said, I want you to pray a confessional prayer to God of the pathetic state of your soul. <laughs> and I want you to tell him that you don't care about people in Ethiopia. And I want you to tell him that you're overwhelmed with things here and that you really don't have a burden for this thing called missions. And that's all I want us to do. And I'm going to pray for you and I want you to pray that to God. And he said, but I will warn you, if you mean it, if you really mean it in confessing it before God, Jamie, duck. He said, because I think God is going to answer that prayer and he's going to break your heart for other people. And that was the end of the conversation. Over the next few years, as I had the courage to pray that prayer, God did exactly that. He got me out of myself. I could tell you stories on events that he did it. They were, they were defining moments where he got me out of myself. And he made me realize how hard my heart was toward the needs around the world. And as I then got on my knees and asked him to soften my heart in many different ways, he did. And I stand before you here today having my own particular passion. I've shared that with this church already for the other parts of the world. I have a passion for Western Europe. God has put that on my heart. A place that was the seedbed of Christianity for America today in which now 2% of people go to church. A, a place that was the seedbed for the Western world for capitalism in which now most of the countries are a political and social mess. I, I mean, I have a passion for Western Europe, and now our church is getting more involved in Western Europe, but it doesn't end there. We're involved in Tanzania, in Africa. We're involved in the Middle East, Asia, Mexico, Eastern Europe, uh, many parts of the world. And it's all because God has given compassion to people's hearts and minds and passion to boot as a result of us praying for each other. I mentioned to you earlier that uh, we have some big goals for next year when it comes to what we want to see happen in missions. I want to explain that to you, and then we're going to sing a song and wrap up. Many of you don't know this, but next year represents 50 years of existence as a church for Scottsdale Bible Church. Yeah, you can clap for that. And I got to tell you, you're going to really be clapping in January because, uh, Bill, you're going to love this. We, we are not taking lightly that God has smiled upon this church for 50 years. We're not going to brag. We're going to be very humble about it. But we are planning some 
very, very meaningful and year-long celebrations next year. You will not walk on campus in January and be confused about how old our church is. You will not walk on campus in January and be confused that we are excited about what God has done and what he's going to do for the next 50 years should the Lord tarry. I mean, we are excited and we're planning some big things. One of the things that our leaders have planned is that we want to take 50 mission trips next year to celebrate 50 years of kingdom work. We want to go on 50 short-term mission trips as a church. And some of you are saying, wow, they, yeah, I hope you clap for that. And I hope all of you who are clapping are going to go. Because here's the deal. This year we took 25. We took 25 trips representing about 300 people. We want to double that next year, and we think that's doable. But it's only going to happen if some of us are moved through prayer to take the next step and be involved, to tell stories like you heard earlier. So pull out this card. You'll notice here that we're giving you a chance to respond today. In your bulletin, you were handed a card, and it says next step. And as a celebration of our 50th year, we're planning trips for next year now. And just simply notice that as we're singing this song here, I'm going to ask you to fill this out if you're feeling led to do so today. And we hope you are. And you're going to drop this in the uh, basket as you leave here today. The ushers will be out by the doors. We simply want some contact information because we are going to contact you to talk about your interest in a trip next year. And this is all for 2012. And just fill this out. You, you can show interest in Africa, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Southeast Asia. Central America, South America, the U.S., Western Europe, we're planting churches where there are none, or in that cool, you can, you can put open there. We're, we're, we're very open to other areas that God might lead us to pioneer some works in, so maybe you have a suggestion on where we need to go. Feel free to do that. And then let us know what kind of trip you're interested in. Construction trips, teaching English, evangelism, medical or dental, sports, vacation Bible schools, just working with kids. Or again, what do you like to do? We like to craft trips around the passions that people have. So we are very excited about what God is going to do. We're going to pray here in a minute, but please fill out this card if he is leading you to do so. If you're not ready to do this, we understand that. We're going to talk in the coming days and weeks and months about what all of us who aren't going to go on a trip can do next year because there are ways that we can engage deeper as well. But this is the first step for us to pray about who we're going to send. And maybe it's you. And wouldn't that be exciting? Exciting. So Troy and his team are going to come out now. Let's uh, bow and pray as they do. And then Troy is going to finish the service for us. Father God, um, I thank you that your word is always so clear. I thank you that the life of Jesus is always so pictorial, pictorial on what we need to be about. And God, as we've looked at Matthew 9 today and saw that Jesus' ministry was very much life on life, it was very much going to places that hadn't heard. It was very much to bring the kingdom to those of us who are lost, which is all of us. I pray, God, that you might move our hearts with compassion, that we might start to see that harassed and helpless part of this world and not just see them as a place to fight when it comes to culture wars, but a place to help when it comes to the gospel. And so, God, I pray that you might move us. Lord, the laborers indeed are few in the harvest is plentiful. And so God, we pray that you would send more laborers from Scottsdale Bible Church. We pray that you would move more of us to take a week or two out of our lives and invest in an area that needs it so desperately. Would you move that way in our hearts? And Lord, as you move in our hearts, may we not resist your call, but respond as you lead. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all of us say together, amen.